You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Last week we looked at the particulars of the king's dream. And what did that demonstrate to us? Well, basically, it just showed us the fact that no matter what earthly kingdom rises to power, no matter how good that head of gold looked with the Babylonian Empire or how strong the iron looked that represented Rome, it's all going to eventually disintegrate. And the only thing that's going to last is Christ's eternal kingdom. His plan of redemption will never be defeated. And so that's our perspective in this life. Excuse me. That's the vision we should clearly have. That's what God demonstrates in this first vision in the book of Daniel is that he is in control. And we're going to see that theme all throughout the book demonstrated over and over again. Psalm 62 verses 11 and 12. It's a great passage. It says, God hath spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. So that's a good reminder that God is all-powerful. Now we're going to get into a discussion on repentance. And repentance shows up in the king's reaction when he hears his dream repeated back to him, and he hears the interpretation of this secret dream. So let's start reading in Daniel chapter 2, verse 46. The Bible says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. So the king's response after hearing his dream and hearing the meaning of it He knows that Daniel told this dream because of his God. And so the king was definitely impressed at Daniel's wisdom. And he begins to address Daniel himself as basically a God. He offers incense to him because he revealed this secret. And some point out the fact that nowhere in this passage does it say that Daniel refused to be worshipped as the king did. However, it does seem that Daniel must have said something in between verses 46 and verse 47, since the king answered unto Daniel. That's how it starts out in verse 47. It says, the king answered unto Daniel. So some commentators have suggested that it seems like Daniel did protest the worship that the king offered him. So we have the king's initial address to Daniel. He begins to praise him, and really offer him worship as he would basically to a god. Then we get to verse 47, and here's the king's answer. Let's read it again. The king answered unto Daniel. So again, Daniel may have protested. He may have said something like, uh, do not offer this sacrifice to me or the incense, because this was all the Lord's doing, and he may have deflected the credit for it. But the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods 
and a lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. So after worshiping Daniel and offering incense to him, the king replies back to Daniel and says, Your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. But here's the point. Here's what we can't miss. This, what the king says, his reply, is not good enough. So let's explain this a little bit. It's, it's not good enough to recognize that God has power or that God knows more than we do. We have to personally admit that we all deserve his wrath for our sin and that he is holy and perfect and that there is no other thing, no other person worthy of worship except the one true God. That goes a step farther than what Nebuchadnezzar did and what he said here in this passage. It's not good enough to say that God knows the unknown or to recognize that you know God did something that was no coincidence, that somehow God was involved or the supernatural was at play. We have to do more than simply believing that there is a God. See, that's not good enough. And so many people are, are guilty of this today. Just going through life, enjoying God's creation and the good things that God has given us with friends and food and music and beautiful scenery and taking in all the fresh air, making memories without bowing to God. And doing that is not acceptable to God. See, God allows that for right now, but there's going to come a day when that's all going to come to an end. That's all about to be over. The time when we can enjoy everything God has provided for us without giving the credit to God alone. And like I said, so many people do this. And the problem with, with that kind of attitude is that God made everything around us, including our own souls, and he made it all for himself. So really, who are we to live our own lives, you know, call our own shots, do what we want, disobey God, laugh at sin, live for ourselves, make up our own rules and standards? It doesn't work that way. We, the Bible says very clearly, we are all dead in our sins. It doesn't matter if you're a beggar on the side of the road, um, if you're homeless, or if you're like King Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of the world at that time. There is no hope for any of us on our own. We are all under God's wrath because we have so offended his holiness with our sinful hearts. And we are guilty. That's the point of fact. We are all guilty before God. But God loved us so much that he sent his own son, Jesus, to take our death sentence on the cross so that we don't have to pay that price. And that's why the gospel, it's such a profound thing. It's a terrifying reality because it puts us face to face with the wrath of God. And either we turn to Christ and trust what he did to take God's wrath for us, or we will face God's wrath on our own the moment we die. And I mean the moment we die. But the gospel is also a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful thing because 
ordinary, hopeless, depressed sinners like you and I can look to Jesus for hope and forgiveness and peace and a relationship with God that we can never get on our own. It's it's only through Jesus. That's the difference. But we have to repent and give up on our sin. So I'm going to read a couple verses here that, that explain the truth of repentance because it's such an important thing. We could read this passage and hear Nebuchadnezzar confess with his mouth that you know, God is above other gods and he's above kings and he's a revealer of secrets. But what does the Bible teach about repentance? Because we're going to see this is not true repentance. In Luke 13, verses 2 through 5, we hear what Jesus says about repentance. This passage says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? So he's, he's kind of giving this riddle about something that happened at that, at that time, a current event going on. And he says, so because bad things happen to these Galileans, are they sinners more than everyone else? And then he says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus is pointing out, it doesn't matter if some catastrophe happens to you or if you live a pretty good life and die a, a natural, peaceful death. Every single one of us has, has a choice to make. The option is repent or die in our sin and perish and be separated from God forever. That's, that's how important repentance is. It can't be give God a little lip service, you know, acknowledge God, go to church, say that, you know, you know who God is, you know who Jesus is, you know, live, live like that sometime. No, it's, it's either God or you die in your sins. There's no halfway. Repentance is a complete surrender to who God is and it's turning your back on your sin. And that doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. It doesn't mean that you just quit all your addictions and all your bad habits and reform your life. That's not what repentance is. Repentance means you choose God over your sin. And then God begins to transform your life and give you that power over your sin as a gradual process of sanctification. But you have to make the choice. It's the choice to turn your back on your sin, to give it up, give up on your sin. And you choose God. That's what repentance is. That's not what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Matthew chapter 3. There's few people in the Bible that explain repentance better than John the Baptist. Okay, so here's John the Baptist, what he says about repentance. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 7, just to save a little time. But here, here we go. In the beginning, this introduction, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Skipping down, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth fruit, good fruit, 
is hewn down and cast into the fire. So what's John the Baptist saying? He's saying, if you really repent, there's going to be fruit. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Acts chapter 17 says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. Guys, that people would recognize their need uh, for repentance and recognize the importance of their sin, that is the reason why Jesus came. For that very reason. So we would recognize how offensive our sin is to God and repent. And Matthew chapter 7 talks about this. Jesus says, Not everyone that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There's dozens of other verses that emphasize the need for repentance. It's required for salvation. It's a change of your mind that produces a change of life. It's both from false beliefs and you have to repent from sin. And without repenting from sin, no one can be made right with God. God wants every person to repent. And I could go on and on. There's so many verses that talk about repentance. So God expects us to turn to him in true repentance. What about you? Are you just doing lip service to God? You know, do you just acknowledge him sometimes in your heart? But really, you're still your own God. The human heart is an idol factory. Um, uh, one person said that, and I'm not going to um, agree with everything that he taught, so I don't want to mention who said that. But the human heart really is consumed with worshiping something other than God. We have to repent of our sin and worship God alone. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, Consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.